Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more information about us, please visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Amen. Well, how's everybody doing? Good. Well, I got to begin with a question. I mean, we're entering into Thanksgiving week, so tell the person next to you, really important distinction here, turkey or ham? Go ahead. Tell them next to you. (laughs) Okay, next question. Pumpkin or pecan pie? Pumpkin or pecan? Or some people like to call it pecan, which sounds disgusting. Well, we hope you are ready for a great week. Thanksgiving week is obviously a a great week for a lot of reasons, but it's sort of the official kickoff to the Christmas season, right? Um, Some people have been kind of celebrating Christmas since, like, the official kickoff for them was Halloween. Anybody Halloween, like, that's when the season kicks off for you? Like, yeah, that's my family raised their hand. It's sort of our family. Like, we've been going. We're in. So today I'm excited, I'm excited to continue our series to the city. Um, we're going to be in the book of Colossians. You can open up to your Bible and to Colossians if you want. Uh, there's, there's something that sat in my heart as I've been reading this. I mean, we, we of course have been reading through the letters of the New Testament, and I, we, I was reading Colossians this week, and I think it's uh, something that yeah, sat in my heart, and I have a statement that I'll put on the screen that sort of is what kind of started to formulate in my head, and it just says this, it says this there's something about living to tell the story. There's something about living to tell a story, and that, that might not make complete sense yet, but you know what I mean by this. There's something valuable that comes from the, from the at times, the hard things we go through in life, right? There's something, that's, there's something about telling the story through the hard things or the crazy or the challenging or the adventurous things that we do through life. Even through the things that we wish would have never happened, there's sometimes after the fact so much value that comes from those things. I had sort of a ridiculous moment happen in my life about 10 years ago. I was leading a, uh, leading a team, a mission trip team to Houston area, and we took, our day, we took a day while we were there, and we went down to the Galveston Beach. Now, the Galveston Beach isn't necessarily one of the best beaches out there. I don't know if anybody, anybody vacationed to the Galveston Beach? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm going to help you with some other locations. <laughs> um, but the water there is like a murky, kind of brownish green, black esque you know what I'm talking about and you're like what is is this the ocean and uh but you you get there and you're like I'm getting in anyway so we got in the in the water and playing and all that kind of stuff and about 15 minutes after I'm like I'm gonna go sit up on the beach you know it's so luxurious and so I'm gonna go sit up on the beach and just hang out and as I'm walking out of the water I kid you not something grabs my foot it grabs my foot clamps down there's an intense pressure on the back of my foot and I start kicking you know I'm like kicking I'm going what is and I started saying a few things that were not agreeable with the mission trip code of conduct. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I learned something. You can say whatever you want if something grabs you under the water in the ocean. You just let it fly. It doesn't matter. And so anyway, I'm, I'm kicking and I'm, I'm, I look down to see what happened. But of course, did I tell you that the water is like black? So I couldn't see anything. So I have to run out on the, out on the, on the beach and my foot is just like Blood is just gushing out of my foot. And I'm like, what, what happened? I was thinking, I, I, I don't know if like a crab grabbed me or like a lobster. I don't know if lobsters attack people, but I didn't know. Like I just didn't know what happened. And so I clean up the wounded area and there's like one hole. And I'm thinking, this lobster theory may be right. You know what I mean? There's one hole in my foot. It's a deep hole. And I'm like, what is going on? So I go and sit down. And my, after about 10 minutes, my leg starts burning like from my foot all the way up my entire leg. Like, 
burning, burning, burning. And my friend gets on his phone and he's looking around and goes, hey, I think I know what happened. I found a picture and he pulls it up, you know, and he's like, he shows it to me. It looks just like my foot. And he goes, you were stung by a stingray. And I was like, what? That is so awesome. I got stung by a stingray. And then he said this, I kid you not. This is what he said to me. He said, okay, you need to prepare for extremely intense pain for the next three to four hours. And I was like, what? This is not cool. And then he reads, there is very little you can do for the pain. In other words, there's like a suck it up moment, you know what I mean? And I had about five people that were like, hey, I'll pee on it for you, you know what I mean? I heard that helps. I was like, no, thank you. No, thank you. Pain began to increase, so I like literally left the beach, went and sat in my car, and writhed in pain for the next almost exactly four hours. It was like the worst pain of my life. Um, so back to my thought. There's something about living to tell the story, you know what I mean? And here's the thing. I know this is, uh, this is a little cheesy, but I, the moment was painful, but I get to say today that I was stung by a stingray, and it was like, it's sort of like a badge of honor. I didn't do anything, literally nothing, but I'm like, I get to tell that story, and I enjoy it. And this letter to the church, I think, as we talk about this letter to the Colossians, it's going to make even more sense that there's a story behind that story. There's a story behind this letter that is one of those types of stories that just reminds you of what the early church and what the believers of the early church had to do just to, just to advance the gospel. They, they, were, they were willing to do anything for the gospel. So I want to give you a little background on, on, this, on the city of Colossae and just kind of this book that, we, that we've been reading. But I have a map for us. Colossae was located in Asia Minor, as you guys may already know. But it was in Asia Minor. There's this uh, city there called Colossae. And Paul had been doing ministry in the nearby city of Ephesus, which most of us know for years. And he was, he was uh, reaching all sorts of people for Christ. And one of the people that came to know the Lord in Ephesus was a guy named Epaphras. Now, everybody say Epaphras. Epaphras from Ephesus. Are you with me? I mean, he was, he was the real deal. He had the name to back it up. And he was taking the gospel. So Paul sent him, and actually the ministry in Ephesus sent him to go spread the gospel to neighboring cities, and that's how he ends up in Colossae. And so he actually goes from Ephesus to Colossae, and he starts to build a church there. And he's building a church there, and over time, as he's building this church, a lot of false teachers, which is kind of, if you're really reading the letter of Colossians, there's a lot of refuting of, of this false teaching. They were teaching about 80 to 90 percent of the truth, but there was about 10 to 20% that they were teaching that was not the truth, which is very different from today, right? Nobody does that today where they skirt the truth. Well, they were doing it back then too, and they are teaching. And so he's like, I need help. I don't know what to do. And he thinks, well, where's Paul? I, maybe I'll go talk to Paul, and he can encourage me, and he can help me figure this out. Well, Paul is in Rome. Rome is a long ways in the ancient world. Well, he decides, I'm going anyway. So Epaphras from Ephesus gets on a boat and goes all the way to Rome where Paul is in prison. And he says, Paul, I need your help. There's these false teachers. I need you to help me figure out what to do with it. Well, then the, the Romans were there like, who's this Epaphras from Ephesus? I think he should go to prison too because he loves Jesus. So they throw him in prison. And so then they go, what do we do now? We still got to get the message. We got to get the message back to the city of Coloss, or from, to Colossae. And so they, they get this other guy. His name is Tychicus. And Tychicus is like, I'll take it back. No big deal to just travel halfway around the known world. So he gets on a boat, and he travels all the way back to Colossae, and he delivers the letter to the Colossians. He also delivers the letter to the Ephesians at the same time. So the letters, if you think about it, these are, this is sort of this is truly amazing that we even have these letters, is it not? This is in the ancient world. 
They're traveling by foot, by boat. They're carrying handwritten letters. And here we are today reading them. If you have not ever been convinced that this is truly the inspired word of God, when you see how the story behind the story actually plays out, it starts to show you, man, there's no other way other than God that we're sitting here reading this letter. And I'm sitting here going, man, what they were willing to do. There's something about living to tell the story. I feel like the story behind the Gospels and the story behind these letters in the early church are true to that. Because eventually, as we know, many of these believers in the early church, they gave their life. We know that. But as long as they were living and as they were breathing, every ounce of effort, energy, struggle, difficulty, whatever they faced, it was worth it to them. And that is sort of mind-blowing in some ways. The sort of difficulty that they endured for the gospel. I don't know if you remember the story from 2010 when 33 Chilean miners were trapped 2,300 feet under the ground. You guys remember the story? It's a little bit old now, but uh, they were trapped for 69 days. And I have a few pictures. It was an international story for over two months, but... You imagine 69 days, you don't know if you're going to live or die. And it seemed impossible to save them. The world worked together. They built this little capsule that they had dug a big enough hole to send down, and they pulled one guy up at a time after 69 days. But the scientists say that it was an act of God that this happened. There were so many moments of literal breakthrough in the ground that they thought was, they weren't going to be able to get to them. They thought they were going to die. They thought they were going to have to just let these guys die down in this mine. But, every, but somehow God would break through, and every day while they were trapped, these men were praying. They were praying every day. They actually had a scheduled time of prayer every day, multiple times. And during the ordeal, ordeal, 22 of the 33 men gave their life to Christ. And one of the miners, his name was Jose Henriquez, said this about the experience and how it changed him. He said, the message is clear. I tell the people that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is a God that hears our prayers. Amen? Amen. He is a God that hears sinners, messages of hope for people that you don't have to be in a mind to be able to get out of problems, difficulties, drugs, so many things that bind people. Many people today are prisoners shackled to so many things. That is like being trapped in a mind. Now because of what I went through, God sent me to testify. Think about that. Now because of what I went through, God sent me to testify. It's been for me an additional assignment. And the strength, the trust, and believing that God had sent me, that's why I testify of him and do what I do. You see, there's something about living to tell the story even when the story is something that isn't good. And I know that for some of us, we have pain, we have a past, we have things we would never wish have ever happened. But as the cliche goes, God makes a message out of the biggest of messes. That's what he does. And I think of stories of people in our church that are living to tell the story. I think of a good friend here that was crushed by a broken relationship, but he's living to tell the story. I think of a friend who recently told me how his job just keeps piling on top of him more and more and more, and he doesn't know what to do, but he's like, but I got I, I to gotta keep going. I got to keep pressing for Jesus. I think of another person here who recently gave their life to Christ after years of darkness and pain. Another friend who lost a spouse but is still praising God. I think of 
I think of Melinda Duarte, who's not that long ago had two surgeries on her kidneys to remove cancer, and she's here today, cancer-free, living to tell the story. And in each of those, and in each of those struggles, pain from relationships, pain from pain from being overwhelmed by life, busyness that comes with it, the sickness that we have, the darkness we endure. Two things about all those things that I know to be true is that God is with you. I think we say that a lot. He's with us in those moments. But more than that, I think God wants to step in and rescue us. He wants to remind you of his grace. And that's what I love about the Chilean rescue story, the miners, right? The picture of it is so powerful. Think about it. There's these men trapped in a mine underground. They're in a pit. And they're looking up, crying out to God for help. And God and his mercy and grace. Miraculously, through the work of his people, but also through the work of his supernatural strength, reaches down into the pit, pulls them up, sets them on their feet, and releases them into freedom. You see, that story of being rescued, if you know Jesus, that is your story. Do you understand? Like, there is, the, there is a piece of us that's like, I have to testify. Will you testify of his grace? Will you testify of the fact that he's rescued you? I mean, do you understand that there is, a, there is a, a place in your life, there was a time in your life where you were the person in the pit, right? You were the person that needed to be rescued. And you're going, well, you don't know, no, Tim, I've never really had, I've never really had like that, that really, really dark time in my life. That's not really my story. Listen, if you ever had a point in your life and maybe you're even in it right now, where you couldn't say, yeah, Jesus has saved me from myself. We've all had the moment where we needed to be rescued. Every one of us. And he stands and says, I have more for you. Will you testify of my grace? Will you make what I've done for you the purpose of your life? There's something about that. And when I, what, I, what I feel very much is when I, was struck, when I was struck this week when I was reading Colossians, and specifically as we've been reading through the New Testament letters by the life of Paul, Paul endured so much suffering, did he not? For the hardship and for the sake of the gospel. And, and you see him mention it a few times. I don't have these on screens, but in 1 Colossians 1.24, he says, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And Paul writes this while he's in prison, by the way. 2 Corinthians, he says, this extensive list of all these things he's endured. He talks about how he was flogged. He talks about how he was shipwrecked, beaten with rods, whipped. He's been in danger. He's been, in cold. He's been cold. He's been naked. In Acts 14, Paul was stoned, and he was stoned in such a degree that they thought he was dead. They drug him out of the city. They left him for dead, but he wasn't dead. He was just mostly dead. You know what I mean? He was just almost dead, but he wasn't dead, and he got up, and he continued his ministry, and in the early church, it was expected that when, when you followed Jesus, it would change everything about your life. You, you, you literally were saying yes to Jesus at the, at, the, at the thought that you were likely going to be disowned by your family, that you were likely going to become an enemy of the state, that you were going to have to change everything about everything. In fact, the, the moment of salvation was so pivotal in a person's life that they would often, it would shape their identity in such a profound way that they'd change their name. We know the some of the examples, right? Levi, the tax collector, becomes Matthew, the disciple. P or, excuse me, Simon, the fisherman, becomes Peter, the disciple. Saul, the zealot, becomes Paul, the apostle. And I even like Scott here on our team. I love this story. You know, he used to spell his name Scott with the traditional two T's at the end. 
Well, now he's Scott with one T because of the miracle that God did in his life when he healed his liver and the, the disease he had in his liver. And he said, you know what? I've never been changed. God did something so significant in my life. It's got to be marked with the change of my own name. And I just think that, I mean, there are some times that there are moments in life that should be so profound that it changes us. And I wonder, I wonder if Paul would say it was worth it. I wonder if Matthew would say it was worth it. I wonder if, I wonder if uh, Peter would say it was worth it. Was it worth going through what you went through for the sake of the gospel? Was it worth going through so you could tell the story that you've told? Was it worth revolutionizing your life? What do you think they'd say? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know them, of course. But I'm pretty confident they'd say, my life was nothing without Christ and is everything with Christ. Paul writes a line in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, that really got this whole message going and kind of it's kind of really what we're gonna what this is all about today. So here I am 20 minutes into the message and we're finally getting to the verse, right? Better be a good one. Uh, Colossians 1, verse 10. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. That you would live a life worthy of the Lord. You know, if you've been reading the, the Bible reading plan, um, you may have seen this statement come up a few times in recent readings. In Philippians 1.27, it, it says this. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear, that, hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So this is a good word, right? I mean, let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel so that no matter who's watching, you're doing it. So if Paul's like, if I show up or if I'm not there, you're the same person, right? Like the apostle Paul's like, hey, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm with you or not. I mean, you ever had that situation where depending on who you're around, you might act a little different? No, of course not you guys. But you know what I'm saying? Like, this is what Paul's saying. Like, let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, in Ephesians 4, 1, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy. In this case, he reminds us that we've been called. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but there's no such thing as, sometimes we do this in faith. We have a category of people that are just Christians, and then we have another category of people that are called. That, there's, no such, there's no categories. We are all called. Are you with me? We are all called, and we are all in this. And he's saying, you need to live a life worthy of your calling. And we must live a life not only worthy of our calling, but worthy of the gospel and worthy of the Lord to please him in every way. Whew. That's not easy. And we won't be perfect at it, will we? We won't always know what to do or how to do it. But what I do know is that we can keep stepping deeper and deeper into life and to do whatever it takes for the sake of Jesus. I know we can be on that journey. There's something about living to tell the story. And that's what amazes me about the story of the, of the, of the people of the Bible, of Paul and guys like Epaphras, who nobody even thought of, but he's in the first book, he's in the first chapter of Colossians. You see his name. Who is that guy? Well, I wouldn't figure it out. I'm like, oh. Look what he did. 
And equally what amazes me about them, it equally amazes me about myself and maybe collectively for all of us. As much as they were all in, I feel like some days I'm all in and other days I'm distracted and other days I'm disinterested. And that's amazing. How my life can so easily be about my life and my work or my problems or my issues or even what the latest thing is and I can get caught up in all those things. And, and here's what I realized is that God actually cares about all that stuff. God cares about my work. He cares about cares about the latest thing, believe it or not. He cares about all of the things that I care about. And what he's saying is like, hey, like, what if I was in the middle of all that? What if I was the center of all that for you? What if everything you did in life and everything you cared about in life went through the lens of me, that I'm not a sidebar to your life that I, you get categorically, you give time to at times, or that you think about and that you, you kind of figure out, you're trying to constantly figure out how to, how to order your life. What if, what if, what if everything about your life, everything about your life was including me into it in such a way that I would revolutionize it and that I would change everything about everything. And I don't comment on our habits of getting distracted or being disinterested as a way to discourage or create unhealthy guilt. I think sometimes whenever we say, oh, we are terrible, I, I think it can, it can send the wrong message. I, I say that because I hope you're like me. In the midst of my failures, I have a desire inside of my heart. I want to live a life worthy of, of the Lord. Is, you know what I mean? Like, I want, to, I want to live a life worthy of the gospel. I want to live a life worthy of my calling. In the midst of my failures, in the midst of my disinterest or my, or, or my distraction, I'm still working out my salvation in such a way to say, God, I want to be worthy of what you've done because you've rescued me. And because you've rescued me, I want to testify of your grace and of your rescue. I want to live a life that's worthy of you, Lord. And see, this is, this is, what I'm, this is, this is where I feel like we all should be saying, yeah, amen. <laughs> that was a good point, Tim. Thank you. Thank you. So as we embark on a new chapter in the story, in the story of our church, and we say things like, let there be light, and we have all this tower theater talk, and we have all these stories, those are some big things for our future, are they not? I mean, they're pretty exciting. And it's changed, and it's a new chapter, and it, there's a lot of us stuff going on right now, like collective us stuff. And what if right now, though, marked a new chapter for you? What if this wasn't just about us? Maybe there's something going on right now that's about you. You know, I love what Isaiah 43, 19 says. It says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I love this verse. See, I'm doing a new thing. Maybe I love it so much because right now I just feel it every day of my life. I think a lot of us sense that in our church. You know, someone told me Friday... It's like something has been brewing underneath the surface for a long time. It's just building, and, and now is the time. Now is the right time for the new things that God has for us. And I couldn't agree more. 
But what I, what I really felt that we needed to hear today is that, listen, there is a whole bunch of, I, I believe, God-ordained new things for us. So I could preach all day about, look what God's doing. Let's all go together. Let's, let's believe that God has more for our city and more for our church. And I want to say to you that I want to declare just as passionately as I think that for us, I believe that for you. And that you could say, you could say, what's the new thing for me? What's the thing that God's calling me to? What's the thing that says, I want to step deeper into living a life worthy of the Lord? What's the thing for you? Maybe this is what you need. You know, I think sometimes when I read this passage or I read these passages about living a life worthy of the gospel, I used to think that this was sort of a, this was sort of a corrective verse. You know how Bible sometimes we feel like it's correcting us and like pushing us, kind of giving us a little bit of a, you know, course correction, slapping us back into the right place. And, and I, think it, I think it does that, and it should. But I think if you're reading this and you have sort of a legalistic approach to where your goal has become some sort of Bible-thumping, sort of perfect, perfect kind of person, well, then this is a great verse to go, live a life worthy and beat people up with it, right? You're out of, you're out of step. And, and, but I don't think that's what God had in mind here. I don't think Paul was writing this with a way to say, he was, he was pushing them to say, Say, say something else. He was correcting some of the false teachings for sure, but he was saying something else. He was saying, listen, what if your life, what if your life, what if everything you did was you're willing to do whatever it takes for the sake of the gospel? That you're willing to be a human being that's flawed and imperfect. And you're going to have ups and downs, but you never, you never steer away from the story of your rescue. You never steer away that you were nothing without Christ, but everything with him. For those of you in the room that would say, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus. Let me ask you, do you sense or feel God drawing you to anything new? Drawing you to more calling in your life? A greater dependency on the spirit? Living in a manner worthy of the gospel? And perhaps the new chapter is beginning for you, not necessarily a new story, but a new chapter where the story gets better. You ever read a book and the first chapter, the second chapter are really good, and then it just kind of goes downhill from there. You're like, I could have finished after the second chapter. Someone like, yeah, that was your book, Tim. Um, <laughs> I kind of agree. <laughs> um, but you know what I'm talking about? Like, where you read a book and you're like, the story should get better. Are you with me? Like, you ever read a book where you like you keep reading it, and the best part of it was the ending? You're like, oh, that's the story that God wants to give you. He wants to give you more throughout the journey, and every chapter gets better. And I think there's a new chapter for a lot of you. I've been saying that going over there, what God's doing in 2020 is a new chapter for us. And I'm saying, I think you should be saying it's a new chapter for me. It's a new chapter for me. God is taking me deeper. He's taking me further. He's making me really, really stand up and testify of his rescue. Stand up and tell of his grace and his goodness. And to say he does immeasurably more, not only in us, but in me. And I believe God has more for you. So my call to you as Christians is to remember that the gospel calls us to do things we thought we'd never do. 
Jesus is actually in the business of calling us to do things that we never even knew we wanted to do. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a, like, oh, I didn't want to do that in a bad way, meaning you didn't believe that you would be the person that God would use to do that. That's the kind of stuff that God does with people. So if you're a Christian, now is the time. God is doing a new thing. And may you, my friends, live a life worthy. May you, my friends, live a life worthy of Jesus. Today in this room, there may be people who don't know Christ. And I say that maybe when I said, or if you're a Christian, you're like, I don't know. Like, I've believed in God, or maybe I believed in Jesus, but I've, but I've struggled with the idea of God here and there. And I would definitely say that, maybe this is you, I would definitely say that you would, you would never say, I've followed Jesus with my whole life. Like, I've, I've, I've tried to, I've tried to give my life to following him. Like, there's never been a time in your life when you felt like that was true. Maybe it's been a really, really long time coming, but you're sitting here today, and you're going, I I really want to declare that. I really feel like I I need to begin. Because your story is like you're reading a book, right? You ever read a book, and it's like all of a sudden the new chapter is like, whoa, I didn't see that one coming. It was a whole new twist. A whole new change. It was like a 180 all of a sudden. And I know some people looking in this room right now that they have made a 180 recently. And I believe there's more people that need to make 180s to say yes to Jesus, to be rescued. So I just want to close with just a moment of prayer and reflection. So if you just bow your heads. We're just going to ask the Spirit to move. Holy Spirit, would you move in this place? maybe today it finally makes some sense to you God is meeting you in this moment you've tried to figure it out for a long time but inside you've been wrestling with your purpose your identity you've been wrestling with eternity and God and spirituality and all that stuff and in your search I want to just kind of give you a moment to just receive something that the only thing that truly satisfies is Jesus Christ it's the only thing that will satisfy that search and if you're if you want to give your life to Christ today I just want to I just want to help you and it's just this it's just a simple sentence but it has a significant impact on a person when they say it with their whole heart and it's just simply this Jesus I give you my life we just say Jesus I give you my life in fact, if you're at that moment, you're like, I just want, I, I do want to do it. Today's the day. I want to do this. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Would you just whisper that prayer? Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. And when we say, Jesus, I give you my life, it's a declaration to say, God, I couldn't do this anymore. I can't do it on my own. I can't save myself. I need you to save me. I need you to give me life and purpose and meaning. I need you to forgive me. And I need you to come into my life. So Jesus, I give you my life. Just say that. Don't be afraid. If you're, if you're feeling like the Lord's pulling at your heart right now, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. And the second part of this prayer is we give Jesus our life, and then we ask God to come and live in us. And so we just say, come, Holy Spirit, fill up my life. So if you want to just pray that, say, come, Holy Spirit, fill up my life. Just whisper that prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, fill up my life. So 
when no one's looking around, and just a quick question. If you, if, you just, if you just prayed that prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. You just hold up your hand real quick so we can pray for you. I just want to pray for you real quick. If you just prayed that prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. Just raise your hand. That's good. I see it. You don't have to be embarrassed or hesitant. Just lift it up real quick. One more sec. Anybody else? Awesome. Way to go. Father, I pray for my friends who just had the boldness to just lift a hand. I thank you. And God, I pray you'd seal this moment with so much joy. And I just want to say something to those of you, those of you who just raised your hand. Is, is God loves you. God loves you. And I often picture God's love like a big bucket over my head being poured out. And But this bucket never quits pouring. It just keeps covering me and drenching me in his love. And that's what he's doing for you. He's going to pour out his love on you. His, your entire life, you're going to be drenched in his love. It's going to saturate every part of your life. And you're always going to be covered. But God, I thank you for my friends that um, said yes to you today. And I just pray that you would seal this moment. Enjoy. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. We love you, Lord. We praise you in your name. Amen. We just praise God for what he's done. Just thank him. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.